What's up, guys? This is Terry Gilbert. Thank you all for joining the Terry Gilbert Experience. Man, this is going to be an amazing podcast. This is my first one. I'm dropping it on you. I've had this in my files for a while. I just hadn't got it out. And so I'm like, hey, what better way? I uh, upload an anchor and we're going to drop it. And uh, anybody who's aspiring to be a VC, who's aspiring to be in the startup world, who wants to know as far as like the psychological things behind what um, investment funds what they look for in entrepreneurs and what they want to invest in. This is your guide. This is the information you want to hear. His name is Blair Guru, and you'll be hearing his voice. He will be breaking down all things venture capital. Um, he works or his company is Mercury Fund and they invest in SaaS companies, which is software as a service. You're going to hear him discuss uh, from everything from how he got into the industry and uh, what type of entrepreneurs they invest in and even the breakdown structure of how venture capitalists make money. Um, the voices you will hear will be my voice, Terry Gilbert, will be Blair's voice and also Micah Hall. Micah Hall asked some great questions in there and you're basically listening in on our conversation and we're just going to invite you in. We're going to jump you in right now. Yeah, and they're on the West Coast. They were the first SaaS fund. So their venture fund was the first one just to do these enterprise SaaS companies like we're doing. And um, I really like that one. And then the other blog I read, it's more entrepreneurial. Is, you guys have heard of uh, Tim Ferriss? Tim Ferriss. Yeah. I read his books. He's awesome. Yeah. I, just, I listen to his podcast, too. Yeah, his yeah. podcasts are awesome, yeah. right? Tim Ferriss is cool. And just how he, uh, uh, how he hacks through life. Yeah. Like... I, I mean, I'm always picking stuff up, mm-hmm. and even I've got a 13-year-old daughter, and she'll listen to his podcasts. She'll okay. come up with something that's cool. But there's a lot of tidbits in there that I think are really applicable to VC, you know, because we want to find people who are not only resourceful and scrappy and have a great idea, but you, know, you can't raise that much capital ever to do what you want to do. Yeah. So you got to find shortcuts. And so Ferris, when he talks about entrepreneurs and shortcuts they found. Um, I mean, that's just fascinating to me. And that's kind of what my inspiration is kind of doing what I'm doing. How did you break into the VC industry? So, uh, my first job was as a CPA. I was working for Deloitte. Oh, okay. And I worked in DC. I love DC. Um, and I got to work for AOL. And this was when AOL was America Online. They were sending CDs to the house before mm-hmm. anybody had internet. You had to like load these CDs through the browser. And what do I do? And um, I remember uh, working, you know, I was a junior person, you know, lowest level at Deloitte, and I was doing their audit. And um, I remember a bunch of people coming in. They didn't have ties on, uh, but they all had like sport coats. And mm-hmm. I remember meeting Steve Case once, right? He was the founder of AOL. I remember him like standing oh, straight. Okay. These people came in. Wow. And I kept on seeing these people come in, and there was like a meeting I wasn't even supposed to go yeah. near that end of the hall. They're like, stay away. Darn, broken I'm like, what's going on? There's a board meeting going on. I'm like, a board meeting? What's a board meeting? <laughs> they tell me. And they're like, that's when the company has to present to their investors. I'm like, interesting. And I heard the term venture capitalist, and I'm like, what's a venture capitalist? I'm like, well, that's their investor. And I said, well, I thought that's called like private equity. And they're like, no, 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 no. Private equity is like bigger companies, like these uh, startups, like AOL, America Online. 
venture capital. And so I started asking some questions about it. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, how do these people become VCs? Probably like you guys are asking. Yeah. And they're like, oh, what you're trying to figure they're out. all like super smart. Yeah. They've all been to like Hewlett Packard and blah, blah, blah. They're all wealthy, right? And I may be wealthy someday, and I do well, but I'm not wealthy yet. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how old do you have to be to be a VC? And like, oh, you got to be like 50 or 60. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. And so in the back of my mind, I was like, that seems like a really cool job. I'm going to put that way out there, and that'll be the puck. Mm-hmm. Escape too, right? right. So let's figure that out. And so then I moved to Houston. My wife is from here. Okay. And she uh, actually uh, up at AM College Station. She got into their vet program. Nice. And I'm like, awesome. I'm following the brains. Mm-hmm. She's going to take care of me. And I come down here <laughs> and I didn't transfer with Deloitte mm-hmm. and I got into investment banking. Ah. And investment banking for me was a great transition because I didn't know a lot about the capital markets mm-hmm. and how to raise money and I kind of wanted that understanding, and now they do a better job in undergrad at teaching about that. Mm-hmm. But back when I went to school, early '90s, they really didn't. That's kind of, yeah, everybody went and got their MBA back then, right? Okay. So I went into investment banking, and I did a lot of mergers and acquisition transactions. And um, in doing that, we also raised private capital for some of these energy companies, and we were raising venture capital. But not for technology companies, but for companies mm-hmm. going to drill oil wells. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the energy industry. I just yeah, I don't I, like it. Either. I didn't like it. It wasn't me. I, mean, I grew up in Boston, mm-hmm. and I just—it's kind of slow, slow, not sexy at all. Yeah, it is not sexy at all. <laughs> and so this is going on. It's like '97, and I'm talking to my buddies in D.C. A bunch of them left Deloitte, and they were working at AOL. Mm. And they were in their finance department, and they were kind of moving around and doing really cool stuff. And AOL was going to go public, huge IPO. And they're like, "Dude, you completely screwed yourself. You could have come to AOL. We're going public. Everyone's going to be rich. Blah blah blah." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Man!" <laughs> and I'm talking to my girlfriend, who later became my fiance, my wife, and yeah. um, and she's like, we'll, "We'll make a change if you're not happy in energy." So I joined a nonprofit incubator called the Houston Technology Center. Hmm. And it was kind of the first of its kind in the area. And it's HTC? HTC. And I think I've seen some meetups yeah, yeah, that they host. So I was the first paid employee there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there was a CEO, but I got to learn about entrepreneurism and venture at this incubator. And so my job was to find startups and then match them up with really smart people from like Compaq and these other tech companies back mm-hmm. then and find angel investors. I had no idea what an angel investor was. And uh, uh, my, my boss, my second day on the job, and like my brain, you know when you do something new and your brain just yeah. hurts because you're like, I don't understand half the work you're talking about. And uh, I, I go in his office and he gives me a piece of paper and there's like, just like this, right? Yeah. Ripped out. Like a hundred names and phone numbers. Call. All and day. I'm like, I'm looking at this list and I see like hobby and like Duncan and all these names that I'd seen like on the museums and the airports wow. and everything. And I'm like, what's this? And he goes, this is a list of the wealthiest people in Houston. And I'm like, you sure you want to keep this? He goes, I don't need it. You do. I'm like, why? He goes, you're going to start an angel network. Mm. And I'm like, what's an angel network? Never heard of an angel network. And so he told me, no, angel investors, private individuals, and this is the yeah. money that comes before venture. And I'm like, yeah, but what's an angel network? And he said, on the coast, there are these groups in Boston and California that basically get together and once a month they'll see three deals. Mm. And that's, he's like, that's, that's where like Apple and oh, HP okay. and all these companies get funded through these angels. 
and then the angels work with them and mentor them, and then a venture capitalist will come in and kind of give them some more money. I'm like, all right. And so I flew to the coast, so I got to sit in on these angel network meetings, and I'm like, this is pretty cool. So I came back here, and I started dialing these people up. Sometimes I'd get them, and they would hang up on me. I'd talk to them. They'd... Sometimes I'd get them, and they'd talk for hours. Sometimes I'd leave a message. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't call back. But this was, this was back in the day where all these older people, they don't have email. None of, nobody was on email. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were being younger, but you couldn't email them. And so I formed a group of that group uh, that became the Houston Angel Network. And uh, the chairman of that group was a guy named Paul Hobby, who was the grandson of the former governor, who the Hobby Hobby Airport was named after. And he and I became friends. He raised a small venture fund. He hired me out of HTC as an Mm. associate. And uh, so I put off going to get my MBA to go do venture. I'm like, awesome, I got a job. Why don't I get my MBA? This is great. I went and did that. And what was interesting about it was I didn't really have entrepreneurial experience. And it showed, right? I'd sit in a meeting with a startup and I'd tell them what to do. And they're like, I'm like, I read a book or I heard it. And um, and so my partners, right, who raised the fund, and I was like 27 at the time, 26 or 27, they said, hey, we're, we got an idea. And so I would research a business plan and I would make the pitch to my partners and why we should invest in a company. And they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, marketing, they don't know. How to or finance, yeah. and they're like, great, and they would make the investment, and then they'd say, oh, by the way, Blair, he's gonna be your CFO for six months, and he's gonna clean your books and do this, or he's gonna be your head of marketing. Mm. And the problem was, with a CFO, I could kinda do that job, kinda, but like marketing and sales, I had yeah. no idea what I was doing. Hmm. So I spent five years jumping in and out of these companies. Like startups? Just like, startups, okay. teaching myself these roles, and then eventually when I learned how to do it, I, I then would hire somebody to replace me, and we'd mm-hmm. go on to the next deal. And the last company I did, I took over as CEO, and I sold that company successful in about two years. And so I figured out how to do this pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then when I left, I ended up launching Mercury with a partner of mine who had started the commercialization center at Rice. So when Rice commercializes their mm, tech, okay. their intellectual property, this yeah. is the guy that kind of put that together. He and I had been friends. So we went out and raised a fund because I had built up enough credibility. And yeah, I went back to that original list. Because yeah. my partner was like, so where are you raising money from? And I went back to my files and I'm like, right here. <laughs> we got like, where did you get yeah. that? And I'm like, how do you think the Angel Network came about? He's like, awesome. He's like, come on, start dialing, right? And so by then we had emails and we would call these people up and probably a third of that list hmm. invested in the fund. So we raised $20 million and got the first fund off the ground. Nice. Now our funds are about $100 million and mm-hmm. the investors are mostly like pension funds and endowments and foundations, more like what are called institutional investors. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that's how I got my start. Really circuitous, I mean, not the normal way. I mean, if you're on the West Coast, you become an associate at a well-known firm and you just work through the ranks or yeah. something in a corporate type mm-hmm. of job. And, um, let me get that. Um, but that's, that's how I got it. And so I came in through working with a nonprofit incubator and then working with a smaller firm and then kind of launching my own. Awesome. And so I always tell people, man, if you can go with find those a roots. Okay. if you can find a job with like a co-working center or an accelerator where mm-hmm. you see a lot of deal flow, I found, because everyone's always asking, what are, what are the key elements yeah. to get the job? Uh-huh. And I think it's deal flow. You have to get in a position where you've reviewed so many business plans 
but you you develop you what's just called know what, pattern recognition, yeah, yeah. right? Like you guys walk in, you pitch me, uh-huh. and like in two minutes, you would know. I know. Now, and the first thing though is less about the deal. I get a feel for you, yeah. like because if if we do a deal together as an entrepreneur in a VC, I'm going to talk to you more than I talk to my wife. Yeah. Right. And so you're going to call me late at night. We're going to we're going to meet multiple times a week, and it's going to go on for seven to ten years, right? And, like, uh-huh. and you couldn't divorce me if you wanted to. Right? Yeah. Like, I own your company. Not yeah. the whole thing, but a piece of it. Uh-huh. And so I really want to know, is that personality type mm-hmm. someone that I could get along with, first yeah. and foremost? And then the second thing, assuming that you fit the business model of our fund, you know, I then go through kind of a normal, hey, uh, what is their superpower? Like, what are these people really, really good at? Mm-hmm. Because I don't want the entrepreneur to leave the company and get replaced by somebody else. So they are they a great uh, coach? Oh, okay. Are they great at product? They just understand product design. Are they good at selling? Are they good at marketing? You know, what makes them a cut above? And then uh, the, the, the last piece, which is probably the most important in some, to some people, is product market fit, right? The mm-hmm. problem they're solving with their software product, is it so compelling? that I can call their customers up and they're like, yeah, I can't live without it. Oh, okay. Can't live without it. And that's, um, you know, those are kind of the key pieces uh, that you gotta kind of figure out. Um, but I always tell people, man, if you can get deal flow experience. Deal flow experience. And if you know enough about finance, mm-hmm. to where you don't have to be dependent on somebody else. Like you gotta be able yeah. to look at financial models and understand that. And then you gotta be good with people, because it's yeah. a people job. And a lot of VCs out there, they're, uh, uh, a lot of them are introverts, and a lot of them, <laughs> like, they don't look you in the eye. Wow. It's the weirdest thing, and I think because there's a lot of smart, really smart people um, that are VCs, and uh, they're almost, the ones that are entrepreneurs, they're almost so smart, and you know people like this, that mm-hmm. they just, they, they just, yeah, kind of do their thing. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that's just that's just Calvin. He's in the corner. Don't worry about him. Right? Mm-hmm. And then they get elevated to venture. But venture, you can pick a deal and you can do diligence on the deal. But then it's like a seven to ten year, like sitting to, around tables like this. Oh, okay, right? Like you you pitch your ideas about how you're gonna take this to market, or how you're gonna go sell, and I'm like, hey, I, the thirty other times I've seen that kind of sales methodology it hasn't yeah. worked. Here's why, and I gotta convince you to think of other options, or I have to convince you that I've seen this movie, More, learn yeah. from my scar tissue, yeah. don't, oh, don't go down this path. Mm. And that, that is so critical, because I can't tell you what to do. Yeah. I can't give you advice. I've got to give you experience. Mm. And so you've got to find entrepreneurs who are good listeners, um, because VCs have to listen, but then they've got to give their experience. Hey, I remember when this happened four years ago, and, Here's how the entrepreneur solved it. And then the best entrepreneurs can take that experience, apply it to their specific situation. And then those are the relationships that tend to not only be great because you become friends and it's a great mentor-mentee relationship, but those are the deals that end up making you the most money. Hmm. Uh, it's really hard when the entrepreneur questions everything you say. Yeah. Uh, and there's distrust, yeah. right? Because a lot of times you think of an investor in a company, there's distrust. And when there's that, yeah. it's not how it's supposed it's to be. It's like combative, yeah. It's not good, not yeah. good. And you know, VCs aren't out to get the entrepreneur. Like we're not gonna steal their idea or try to launch the yeah. company on It's not your goal. Not, that's not what I do. Yeah. You know, my, my goal is, 
you come to me when you want money, but you need to get somewhere faster than you could on your own. And that's yeah. not just capital, that's experience. Or it's my Rolodex, right? My mm-hmm. network. You want to leverage my network because, hey, you've got a product that sells in the oil and gas space, and I know the 10 buyers of that security software, and I can get them on the phone. Mm-hmm. And like I do that all the time. Like we'll, we'll have a meeting, like a strategy meeting or something. I'm like, hey, hold on. I'll just get Calm. on the phone, yeah. and I'm calling the CFO at Shell going, hey, John, it's Blair. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Hey, I'm sitting here with Ralph, and he's got a really cool product, and it solves this problem. Is that a problem of yours? And he's like, well, actually, it is. Tell me about it. And the mm-hmm. entrepreneur's like, I've been trying to get Shell for weeks. <laughs> you're like, yeah. But that's, that's the whole reason you do it, right? You want okay. to get somewhere faster. Yeah. Money's a part of it, but it's... It's that network and hmm. just uh, all those experiences that you kind of amass. Oh, wow. Is that helpful? Yeah. No, yeah. You, you running me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this right is. Um, what is your, what does the economics of your term sheet look like? So typically, um, we want to own around 20% of the companies we invest in. And we will invest anywhere from, call it a million to $3 million to get that 20% ownership. Okay. Now, maybe 18%, 22%. But what we tell the entrepreneurs is, after we like their deal, we're like, hey, show us your financial model. And how much money do you need to get 12 to 18 months down the road? Hmm. And that's what we're looking to do. It's kind of fund a year and a half of kind of, you know, road, you know roadmap. And... Um, we expect revenues to increase some, uh, but uh, what we a lot of times what we'll do is we'll come in and we do what's called operational hygiene. Like we know how a company should be performing, marketing, sales, product, and oh, okay, yeah. we'll come in and we'll make sure all of that is in place and it's running well before they really try to scale the business. So it may mm-hmm. take three or four months to clean some stuff up. And then- And that's what you guys do? Or? We do oh, that okay. too. And a lot of VCs will just make an investment and they'll yeah. just get on the phone and they'll show up quarterly for a board meeting. We're, we're a lot more active than that. Okay. So entrepreneurs a lot of times will come with us because we really know how to grow these enterprise software mm-hmm. companies. And uh, so we spend a lot of time doing that. But in that term sheet, it's typically, you know, say, hey, here's $2 million. Mm-hmm. The pre-money is $8 million. The post-money is ten. Mm-hmm. We own 20%. And then um, control-wise, we'll take a board seat. Mm-hmm. you know, on the company. And the company isn't allowed to do certain things without Mercury Fund saying yes. Right. Those okay. are called protective provisions. If you guys look those in the term sheet. Yeah, on um, digital. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of times the entrepreneur will focus on the economics, but what they really need to focus on is the control. And so what's standard is they can't raise another venture round can't take out debt uh-huh. they really can't change their business plan materially like if we invest in someone that's doing enterprise software they can't go out and, you know open a grocery store right? yeah. whatever. Um, they uh, they can't sell the company outright mm-hmm. and then if they're hiring people there's a certain salary level and a certain like options or equity level that they oh, can't okay. give unless we sign off on it but we try to make it to where they don't have to call us every day. That's, yeah. that's not our goal. Yeah. It's just like if they're going to hire you to be CFO and they're going to pay you 300000 a year and give you 10% equity, I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. That's a lot. That's right? around this by. Yeah. yeah, I gave you $3 million for 20%. Right? <laughs> so let's talk about this. So those protective provisions are, are really the most important part outside of that pre-money valuation. 
But outside of that, everything else is, is pretty uh, standard. Uh, well, actually, one thing, I don't know if you guys have encountered this or talked about it, um, we always reverse vest founders. Have you heard about that? Reverse this? Yeah, so say you two are co-owners, mm-hmm. 50% of the business. Um, I invest in your startup. I want to make sure you guys stay put. So I'm okay. investing in you. Yeah. So even though you own that stock, I say, uh, 50% of the stock you own. So you own 50, 25% of the stock you own. The other 25%, we're going to invest it over three years because uh-huh. I want to make sure you stick around. Wow. And the other thing is when there's two founders, right? And that gives you guys peace of mind, basically. You totally peace of mind. It but, gives, gives yeah. each other peace of yeah. mind, right? You leave for whatever reason. You're like, leave yeah. Half, half of the equity. Yeah. So what happens is in those situations, the equity comes back to the company so that we can then go out and go hire a CEO, CEO, mm-hmm. whatever that person is. Mm. A lot of times the entrepreneurs do not like that. Yeah, because it keeps them honest. Yeah. It keeps them honest, right? Yeah. But I've heard, I, mean, I have buddies of mine that are venture capitalists on the West Coast and they'll invest $10 million in a company. And before they know it, the entrepreneurs like driving a BMW, uh, not working hard yeah and then they quit and they leave with half of the equity yeah I think that's what's ruining uh, the VC or the investing thing right now or the game right now yeah like yeah. those people are like cause entrepreneurship is blowing up right now so you have these bad actors yeah you're always gonna have it right yeah. and you have it in every industry and so people hear about that they're like oh my goodness yeah and so um, that's that's one of the terms that hmm. is really crucial uh, to make sure that you have in there to make sure that entrepreneur kind of stays put. There's other terms in there around taking your company public. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are a little bit esoteric. Um, you know, I tell the entrepreneur not to worry too much about that. Um, I'm trying to think what else is important. You know, the board makeup, even though we get a board seat, it also dictates how big the board is. So there's a concept of a balanced board. So okay. if you guys start a company, I invest, the board should be balanced between votes for the entrepreneurs and votes for the investors. Oh, okay. So what we typically do is have a five-person board. Mm-hmm. So say it'd be you two, myself, maybe another investor, and there'd be a fifth person who'd be independent. And we would both agree, hey, here's a skill set we really need to advise the company. Mm-hmm. And we go out and keep that person together. And that's for voting. So mm-hmm. anytime you have a vote on something, which everyone's always in agreement. You never yeah. have a vote where people are like, yes, no. no it's not like these public boards that you hear about. But as an entrepreneur, you want to protect yourself. And so anytime you see a, a board which is heavier on the investor side, mm-hmm. where maybe it's two investor votes to one entrepreneur vote, that's not good. Nah. Like, you do not want the VCs controlling the company or running the company. Um, we can give you advice, we can give you frameworks or playbooks about how to do stuff the right way. And a lot of times, you know, I was talking about we get real active those first six months. We tell the entrepreneur up front, hey, here's our expectations. We've done diligence about your business and around these 10 areas, and here are the three things we don't think you're doing right. And they're like, usually, yeah, you're right. How would you help? And we walk them through it, and they're like, awesome. We're like, look, that's what we're going to do the first three months. We're going to make sure we do those things the right way. So you give them action items. Give them action items. Uh, homework assignments. Yeah. And, and they can either say, hey, I don't want you in my shorts. Get out of the room. Yeah. We don't do the deal. Or they say, 
cool. This is exactly the type of relationship. We yeah, because it gives them structure. I think as entrepreneurs, we need structure sometimes. Don't you? I mean, yeah. I think people crave it. Yeah. And, uh, and they learn from it, too, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, now a lot of times, too, we'll do an investment, and we'll tell the entrepreneur, love you, really do. However, uh, we think in a year we're going to need to go out and get another CEO. Mm. And they're like, really? Yes. Why? Well, <laughs> we're sitting here, aren't we? Yeah. They're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you've only gotten your company to a half million in revenue. Yeah. And you haven't been able to take that pilot at GE and make it an enterprise deal. Mm. Like, well, that's really hard. I'm like, I know it is. So why don't we get somebody that actually can do it? Mm. I said, look, we'll, we'll clean the company up. We'll work with you. And then let's figure out what your best role is. Chief strategy officer, marketing, yeah. technology. Let's go, let's go out there and get somebody who's been there and done that. And the best thing for you is that we do that. There's zero chance of you getting fired. Now. Yeah. Right. And then we have somebody else that, like you and I, can fire together if they don't hit the financial metrics mm-hmm. or don't do the job. Because a lot of times you sit on these boards and the entrepreneur just isn't getting it done. Yeah. But you can't do anything because they own so much. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's emotional. Right? Wow, yeah, that's that's hard. Right it's there. really hard, yeah. really hard. And so a lot of times, probably 50% of the time, we have that discussion before we give the entrepreneur a term sheet. Oh. And it's hard. And what we have the entrepreneur do is say, look, no offense, you may be able to get it done, but we're not going to take that chance. Like, this isn't hmm. on-the-job training. How do you assess it, though? What's I mean, that? How do you assess it? How do you know? Oh, how do you know? How do you assess it? Um we know based like we have that list of ten things. Oh, okay. The more things that are yeah. screwed up, then the yeah. more we know like, they don't. This might not be the person for it, but the company's great. Company's great. Okay. The person's done like a yeoman's job getting it to like point B. Also, when they're tired, yeah, or they're stressed out at home, yeah, right? like they're they're married, they have kids, a mortgage, and all this stuff. And we're like, look, you're gonna have someone. Let, let's let's find that role. And let's go hire your CEO together. Let's mm-hmm. make sure this person's a mentor. You know what? They'll teach you and you'll watch and you'll sit back. You'll do your job and you'll still be on the board, right? But you'll watch this over five, seven years. And then the next time you've got a startup, you'll take it even farther. Yeah. And that usually does the trick. And then they mm-hmm. talk to some of our other founders who went through that same process. And we don't do it every time, right? Yeah. We kind of know. And, uh, and the other entrepreneurs are like, dude three years I exited made a ton of money they were exactly right and then they backed me again mm. and they left me in for three more years and then oh, they wow. replaced me because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a ladder right because yeah. I think entrepreneurs have the vision that everybody can be like a Mark Zuckerberg yeah right or yeah. Steve Jobs and like take it all away mm-hmm. and it's like one in a hundred thousand yeah you know? and so we're like don't play the odds Number one, you've got a great idea. Let's go build this company together and let's put money away for you and your family. Yeah. And I always tell entrepreneurs, if you can, sell your first company early. You'll have mm. other good ideas. Sock money away mm-hmm. and then take more risk. Yeah. Don't, don't put all the money in that next deal. But uh, the other thing too, like with young people, less about doing a startup, I always say, hey, you know, when I got out of school, I would have loved to have done something more entrepreneurial. Yeah. But I ended up going to get a job with the best brand I could. Yeah. And so, we're, so Deloitte was always on my resume. And that came up so many times in my career, whether it was putting the Angel Network together. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, look at his resume. He was 
I'm Deloitte, he's a CPA. Of course he's honest, mm-hmm. right? What if I was raising money for the fund? It's like, well, yeah. he's a CPA. Now yeah, it makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you can get that if you go into banking or if you go into consulting or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, but a lot of people want to go and be an entrepreneur immediately, come out of school. And that's great, but then um, people are looking for, like, what's that? The resume. What's that cl- yeah, that yeah. resume, that clue. And also, when you go work for somebody like Chase or somebody, um, they've vetted you through their process. Mm-hmm. And people like that. They like to know that you've been vetted. Uh, by a group that has you know high standards, and, mm-hmm. um, okay. that's another piece. And it could be like a it could be like a product company, right? You can work for you know Minute Maid or Procter and Gamble or something like that. Um, but um, and that's what a lot of these earlier VCs did. Uh, but I think it works for people that want to be entrepreneurs too. Also, you go into a company, figure out what their problems are. Yeah. Unless you've got a real problem of your own. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know consumer problems solving those are really risky. There just aren't a lot of winners. Yeah. You know, but like you, you jump into like Budweiser and you go through their manager training program and you're like, man, you know what? They got a real problem understanding what's on the truck versus what's in the convenience stores. Why don't they have a better way to track that stuff? And then you ask around and you figure out there's nobody solving that problem. And that's where I think the best ideas come from. And then somebody spins out and they get a couple of their friends to code. Yeah, put some okay. software together. Yeah. Sell to Budweiser and <laughs> and they're like, hey, we want to fund this. And Budweiser's like, no, I'm not going to fund that. And they're like, fine, I'm out of here. Gone. And then they, they launch it. I mean, every single one of our entrepreneurs that does enterprise, you know, corporate software has that kind of story. They had the problem. They were in the company. It was a huge issue. They couldn't find a solution and mm. they left. Like we, for our fun, we love those types of stories. Someone that experienced the actual problem. 